Good to see every one of you here this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. We try to not say Easter Sunday, but the world knows it as Easter, so we stick with that as the title. But we have three daughters, and our youngest daughter, Ainsley, is five years younger than her next sibling. So when the other two got to the point of having summer jobs and, or even out of the nest, the Ainsley would then come on vacation with us in the summer, either to a cottage or a trailer. And usually she'd have a friend along who would entertain her. But this one year, they, she didn't have anybody to go with her. So I thought, well, I, I've got to make this vacation great for her. So I'll do all these things that her sisters or friends would normally do. So horseback riding, that was okay. Miniature golf, that was okay. Then the water park and going on the swirly-whirly or whatever it was, starting to get just a little dizzy because I'm probably in my early 50s by this time. And then our family would always go to Sandspit. So that's a recreation park in Cavendish. And I went on rides with her and First ones were okay, and then she said, Dad, the rock and roll. I want to go on the rock and roll. So I, I never jump into anything. I observe for a while first, and I watch. Like, these cars look like they should go right around like that. But they were all just rocking back and forth. So I said, that, that, that's okay. We can do this, Ainsley. But we get on. And I'm probably 60, 70 pounds heavier than her at the point. And as soon as I got on there, our car rocked, and she was up in the air. And then the moment the ride started, we did the rock and roll the whole time. But it wasn't quick. We were slow, over the top. And I would just go, oh, Ainsley, all the way through it. And then, oh, Ainsley. It was horrible. And Ainsley goes, Dad, your head looks like it's going to explode. <laughs> like it, it would get so red. But I've never been so dizzy and so close to being physically sick from anything as I was from that. I got off. I just got over into the shelter and laid down for a while. But that upside-down view of things, it, it, it was horrible. And if you think about it, so much of the way Jesus presented things was upside-down in comparison to the world. With his teaching and his life, he violated all the principles of our world system. From the moment he came into this world, he said things like, turn the other cheek instead of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And instead of saying, hate your enemies, his message was to love them. So this was his upside-down way of operating. And sometimes things are upside down from what they originally appear. So we're going to look at a brief passage here this morning in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. And this is where we see Jesus teaching this upside-down truth. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So the Bible teaches that it's only through death that we find life. And on the surface, like, that doesn't make much sense, does it? Like, how can you find life by losing it? How can you live by dying? It's hard to understand because from our perspective, death isn't life. 
Like our world thinks life is life. This life is all we have. So we better do everything we can to enjoy this life, to seize the day, because this is the only life we have. But that next verse in Matthew, verse 26, Jesus asks this question. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? So in other words, if there's nothing beyond this life, then life is just a meaningless exercise in futility. But the Jesus way says that there is more to life than this. And he teaches that real life is found when we die. So understanding this paradox, it's hard for us. And not just because life is life, but also because society reinforces that death is death. And Jesus describes death as a goal to pursue, but we see death as an enemy to avoid. Like we don't even like to talk about death. We don't even like to use the word. When someone dies, we'll hear things like, oh, they passed away, or they've gone on ahead, or they're no longer with us. And then there are all kinds of crude terms that are used as well. We just don't like the word because it seems so final. And we don't want to die. We fear death, but it's inevitable. And unless Jesus Christ returns before we take our final breath here on this earth, we're heading in that direction. And each day is taking us a step closer. Now, let's admit it. A lot of people believe that when we die, we're buried, and our relatives go home, and they eat, and they party, and then they argue over any of the collections that we have. Like, it's all over. That's the end. And when it comes to belief in the afterlife, well, some think hell is just a place conjured up by pastors to increase church attendance. And they believe that heaven is simply wishful thinking, a fairy tale invented as an eternal coping mechanism. And so a lot of people believe that death is death and nothing else. And that's the way many people tend to see life. Life is life, death is death. But someone came on the scene 2,000 years ago, and he flipped all of this upside down. And his name was Jesus. He was the Son of God in the flesh. He fulfilled every messianic prophecy, prediction made about him in the Old Testament. He lived a sinless life. He taught in an amazing way. He performed incredible, incredible miracles. And he also predicted that he himself would die on a cross and take the penalty for our sins. And we have some great discussions at the men's life group that I lead, and we're trying to support one another to be better husbands and fathers, to be stronger for Christ in the workplace as well. A couple of years ago, one of the guys spoke about spending two days in Cape Breton with a co-worker. So they were together through the workday, and then their company was kind of cheap, so they shared a room at night as well. So my guy eventually brought up the topic of Jesus. Yes, it was very good. And he shared some more, and the other guy couldn't get away from him. But eventually, the other guy just got verbally abusive. 
and there were some uh, expletives in there, but this is what he basically said. I don't believe Jesus ever existed. Now, the guy couldn't say that. Like, he couldn't say Jesus never existed because it's documented fact that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he taught, that he died on the cross, and that he came back to life again. So he could say, I choose not to believe in Jesus as my Savior, and that would be to his loss. But he couldn't say, I don't believe Jesus ever existed. On several occasions, Jesus even predicted that he would come back to life after three days. He said, my body is a temple that will be torn down and in three days be built back up again. And after a brutal execution, he was dead and buried And it appeared that death had won once again. But look at Luke 24. This records what happened. Very early on the first day of the week at dawn, the women came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, two men in shining clothes suddenly stood beside them. And the women were afraid and bowed their heads to the ground. And the men said to them, Why are you looking for a living person in this place for the dead? He is not here. He has risen from the dead. Do you remember what he told you in Galilee? So Jesus defeated that misconception that death is death. He conquered the grave. And because of Jesus, death doesn't win. And that's what Easter is all about. Death is defeated. Now, my grandson has an idea of adding some other things to it, like chocolate. But he is six years old, and he told his parents that the meaning of Easter is, well, you get chocolate Easter eggs. And and they taught him a little bit and explained it. So on Monday, he and I went skating. And I said, hey, Seth, like, What's so special about Easter, which is coming this weekend? And he said, well, that's Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And then he paused for a moment or two. But we also get chocolate Easter eggs, Grampy. (laughs) He still had to throw that in there. But Easter is the difference between life and death. And it all comes down to the resurrection. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is worth nothing, and your faith is worth nothing. So that's a lot of time wasted by you, a a lot of time wasted by me in putting these messages together if Jesus never really rose from the dead. So his resurrection just turned things upside down. Now, some of you are probably here today, and maybe you're skeptical of the resurrection story. Maybe you're here just to appease a spouse or maybe a parent or a child or a friend, but on the inside, you don't really believe the Easter story. You doubt its validity. Well, let's just take a few moments to look at some of the reasons why people try to explain away Christ's resurrection. And the first one is the hallucination theory. And this claims that Jesus stayed dead, he was never resurrected, and the people who claimed to see him only saw him because 
they really wanted to see him. Yeah, I, I, I did see Jesus. I'm, I'm convinced of it. But it wasn't just one time that Jesus was spotted. He taught groups of people, and he ate with them. They touched him. His teachings were consistent with the teachings that he had given prior to his death. And on numerous occasions, he was seen by people, even a group of over 500 people at one time. So evidently, this is mass hallucination. Other critics point to the wrong tomb theory, in which they say that the women went to the wrong tomb that Sunday morning. Now, that would be understandable if it was a group of men, because we don't like to stop and ask for directions. Like, oh, my wife is, before GPS, my wife was so tired of me, I would just go faster in the wrong direction rather than stop and ask for help. But GPS has helped with all of that. But this is a group of women, and they would ask for help if they needed it. And it, it would be more confusing if Jesus' body had been placed in a public cemetery because there would be so many tombs there. But Jesus was placed in a private tomb owned by a very rich man, and it would be easy to pick that one out because there was a Roman guard in, by that tomb. And besides, if they'd gone to the wrong tomb, the religious leaders would have just had to say, okay, here, take them over to the right tomb and show them the body of Jesus. But they went to the right tomb. And then others, including Orthodox Jews, attempt to contradict the resurrection by promoting the stolen body theory. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 28, verse 11, now, this was the first attempt or theory created by the enemies of Christ in order to explain away his resurrection. While the women went to tell Jesus' followers, some of the soldiers who had been guarding the tomb went into the city to tell the leading priests everything that had happened. And then the priests met with the elders and made a plan. They paid the soldiers a large amount of money and said to them, Tell the people that Jesus' followers came during the night and stole the body while you were asleep. If the governor hears about this, we will satisfy him and save you from trouble. So the soldiers kept the money and did as they were told, and that story is still spread among the people even today. But the details surrounding Christ's burial create some serious problems with this theory. Even the chief priests had heard Jesus teaching about coming back to life again. So they ordered that a guard be placed at that tomb to ensure that Jesus didn't get out of that tomb, that the disciples wouldn't come and steal the body. So it's really ironic that the chief priests, they have resurrection in their minds, but Jesus' closest followers, they're off, they're hiding, because they think, Maybe there's a cross with my name on it there as well. So on Sunday, the soldiers were in shock at what they were seeing as an angel rolled away the stone. So they went to the chief priest, told them what happened. They were given this big sum of money. But if the body had been stolen, why were these soldiers still alive? Why weren't they put to death? Like there's only one object 
actually logical explanation. And that's the fact he is not here, for he has risen from the dead. But wait now, what if Jesus didn't actually die? There's a fourth one here, and it's called the swoon theory. And this is what my wife did when I proposed to her. She just swooned and fainted away. But this is the idea that Jesus was crucified, which can't be denied historically, but never really died. And somehow Jesus was a master actor, and he faked his death, and somehow the cool air in that tomb revived him. But what about the Roman soldier who was standing there and he, just to make certain that Jesus was dead? And they drove that spear into his heart just to make certain. What about the fact that blood and water came gushing, which medically proves that he was dead? But that theory is still mentioned. Like one woman who attended a very liberal church wrote to Christian author and preacher Vernon McGee, and she said this, Our pastor said that Jesus didn't really die. He just swooned on the cross. And then the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? And McGee wrote back, and this is what he said, Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip covered with sharp bones and glass with dozens of heavy strokes, nail him to a cross and hang him in the sun for six hours, then run a spear through his heart, wrap him in linens with 75 pounds of spices on top of him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, and see what happens. But if Jesus had somehow lived through all of that, it would have been more miraculous than the resurrection itself. So none of these theories have any credibility, and there are plenty of other evidences that we could consider. But the most compelling fact is the followers of Jesus. These guys who were his closest followers, they were so convinced of the resurrection that they were willing to die rather than deny it. Like no one, absolutely no one, dies for what they know is untrue. Did the disciples do that? Did they die for something that they thought was a lie? I, I want to read to you an assortment of detailed descriptions that different historians tell us about how the apostles or the disciples of Jesus died. And this was all because of their belief in the resurrection. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. Matthew was killed by a sword in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged by horses through the streets in Alexandria. Luke was hanged in Greece. Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during a mission trip. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. So if Jesus didn't really defeat death, don't you think that all of them, or at least one of them, would have given in, would have kind of waved the white flag and said, okay, okay, I give, I surrender. Like, we made it all up. Jesus didn't really come back to life again. But not one of them did because the disciples didn't just believe. They knew. They walked with Jesus. They spent time with the resurrected Lord. Jesus predicted his resurrection and he kept that promise. And that's what makes all the difference for us. And it, it didn't just make the difference for Jesus to come back to life again, but for us. So the Christian doesn't have to fear death 
Because even though death may take you, it can't keep you. Jill Briscoe, in her book, It Had to Be a Monday, writes about the death of a Christian friend. And she said during the funeral visitation, she was standing there with her husband's sister, and they were standing there beside the casket, and people were filing through and giving their condolences. But she said her sister-in-law just kept saying, like, there he is. Like, there he is, as everybody came through. And after a while, his wife could no longer stand it. And she just looked at her sister-in-law, and in love she said, if I believed there he is, I would be so miserable. The only thing that's getting me through today and the coming days is the fact that there he isn't. And you know something? She's right. Like the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. That's what keeps us going. Our hope for eternal life is the byproduct of Christ's resurrection. This upside-down way of Jesus, it was working overtime on that first Easter weekend. Timothy said, But it is now shown to us by the coming of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He destroyed death, and through the good news, he showed us the way to have life that cannot be destroyed. Matt Proctor uh, paints a picture of what Christ's resurrection means for us and our physical death. And, And he writes that on Good Friday, the battle started, and at first it looked like death had triumphed again. At the end of the day, Christ was dead, no pulse, lifeless, laying there rigid and cold. He lay there Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, but then came Sunday morning, and as the first rays of dawn broke over the horizon, a voice came rumbling in on the wind. A whisper from God pierced the walls of that garden tomb. Arise, my son. And as those words echoed deep inside that cave, blood thick and cold rushed warmly through the veins. A chest heaved upward, taking in a deep breath. Stiff fingers moved, eyes opened, arms raised, Legs swung off the table. He was standing again, life radiating heat, just like heat from the sun. He was alive. Christ had risen. And the world has never seen anything like this. There were some previous raisings, but they were no more than resuscitations. People came back to life only to die again. But this resurrection of Jesus wasn't a temporary victory. He destroyed death. He destroyed the power of death. And his resurrection is a preview of coming attractions. So if we belong to him, death isn't the end for us. It's just the phase that transitions us from this life to the next. In 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now this is a message paraphrase that I'm going to read. I just want to use it because I like the way it's phrased. Death is swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? And that's basically what it meant. On that first Easter morning, death was robbed of what it thought was victory. 
And here's what it means for Christians on this Easter Sunday, almost 2,000 years later. Life isn't really life. Death isn't really death. Death is life. Because Jesus said, you save your life by losing it. So there will be a physical resurrection after we die. You won't be there in that urn or that casket at your memorial service. The message of Easter is that death is life. And it's not just comfort for us for that day when we do die, but it is comfort and confidence for us today. Like Jesus isn't saying, someday when you die, you'll find life. He's inviting you to find life today. I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest now. And then God also promises a spiritual resurrection right now for those who are in Christ. So Jesus promises to transform your life, and not just someday, but now. Like if anyone is in Christ, like he's a new creation. The old is gone, and, and the new has come. And the Apostle Paul, he, he constantly addresses Christians in the strangest way. He speaks to them as if they've already died, but yet they're still alive. Like, here's one example from Colossians 3. Your old sinful self has died, and your new life is kept with Christ in God. Christ is your life, and when he comes again, you will share in his glory. So Paul's speaking to Christians who are alive, and yet he speaks of their death as being in the past tense. And do you realize why he does that? It's because of something that already happened. When they became a Christian, they died to themselves. So what does that look like, like dying to self? Let's say in your marriage, instead of getting into a verbal sparring match with your spouse, you choose to die to yourself by biting your tongue and saying kind words. And it brings life, and it just transforms the evening in your home. Or in your job, what you do isn't all about you. Instead of bossing others around, you die to self and you begin to find fulfillment in serving others instead of telling them what to do. And in time, you find that new life with Christ is so much better than the old one. Dying to self leads to life. Like that's the invitation of Easter. Your hope isn't in you. Your hope is in Jesus Now, that word hope is used 71 times in the New Testament. But get this, it's only used once before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. For those of you who didn't grow up speaking English, that means I'm not the smartest person. But even I can deduct from this that God wants us to see that the Christian's hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So who is Jesus to you? But you have to make a decision. And don't wait until the end of your life when that is imminent. Who is Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a a lunatic? Or is he the Lord of the universe? And you know what I think? I think that anybody who can walk out of his own tomb can call himself whatever he wants to. So this last scripture, Jesus said in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And did you notice that Jesus didn't say that the Christian will cross over? He said that the Christian has crossed over. That's death to life, and it's right now. See, that's the upside-down way of Jesus. The, the fact that for us who have accepted Christ, we have now died, but we are experiencing life because we believe in his resurrection.